Hello? Is this on? Okay, all right. My name is Adam. Uh, I'm going to be your scripture reader for today. Um, I'm also a uh, community group leader, and amen to what Jordan just said. Um, we're going to be reading from the book of John today, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Uh, in your black Bible, it should be somewhere around you. That's page 886. Um, if you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to take one of those as our gift to you. So John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you are nervous to say praise be to God, but it's okay. You, you are leading here. You lead the rest of the church. When we have the word of God read to us uh, and we say this is the word of the Lord, it, it is good and right to say thanks be to God. So the four of you, may your tribe increase. You say it with confidence. Don't be bashful. The rest of us, will we'll get there, okay? We will get there. All right, when I was a kid, I didn't read a lot, but one of the, one of the series that I did read um, was called Indian in the Cupboard. Anybody else read that? Yeah, it's kind of a weird little series. Maybe it's a blast from the past. But it was a story of uh, this kid that got a gift and in, in this box or cupboard thing. And inside of it, there was a little Indian figurine, a Native American Indian figurine. And he comes to life when the door's... And it's this whole adventure, then it runs into a series. And, and I don't know, there was some mystical about that to me and, and just magical. It, just getting lost in that little imaginary world of these toys coming to life and... Um, and, and then I, I'm a dad. I don't know if y'all know, I got, I got five kids. So there's a lot of pretending in my house. Um, like my wife will chuckle all the time. Like we'll hear, we'll hear the, the kids say to one another, well, pretend this or pretend, pretend this happened, pretend that. And, and a lot of time that's revolving around dolls. We have like um, our, they're starting to grow out of it, which is sad. But like our, our whole basement room is, is just filled with doll houses and like loads and loads of dolls. And my girls have spent hours down there pretending, hours down there with a whole magical world of those dolls, and they got personalities, they got names, they got all these families and all this stuff. And my boys, like, it, and now I'm like, I'm not good at this type of play. Like, I'm good at like wrestle, run, like play sports, that kind of thing. But like sitting down and pretending with figurines is really challenging for me. I, I, I feel really exposed. I don't know about you. It's really vulnerable um, to be making up stories and what little figurines are doing. But that's what my boys are in that stage. We play Batman. Um, we play all kinds of di like dinosaurs coming to life and. And, and, and as you think about those little, like, toys, whether it's dolls or dinosaurs or Batmans or, you know, Marvel characters, whatever, like, they're, like, what we're talking about is pretending and moving them around. But it's, it's interesting that in order to enjoy them, in order to play with them, we have to pretend that they're living. We have to pretend that an, an inanimate object is actually Alive, And I think that distinction between inanimate and alive is more subtle than we often think. And yet, that difference between, you know, Pinocchio at the beginning of the movie and Pinocchio at the end of the movie is subtle, but it's huge. The difference between um, just material pieces uh, configured into a shape and then a living thing, a living being is significant. And you think about that. You think about um, 
our bodies even. You think about our, our lives. You think about um, the difference between, you know, just those toys that I've talked about and, and how they, they, you know, they have no life when the, in and of themselves. They require someone to pick them up and pretend and talk for them and little voices and make things up for them and all of that. And, and yet, the difference between them and us is, is something we don't ponder enough, but that's exactly where John is taking us today to think about that very difference, the thing that, that brings us to life. Because even with our bodies, even as magnificent as they are, and we looked at last week, right? Jesus created our bodies in such a way that should absolutely create awe and wonder in us. But even our material bodies configured, shaped, formed, and, and even connected and laid out and, and you know, wired up just right, the difference between that being just a body and being a person is significant, isn't it? You know this. You know this from funerals. You know this from experiencing death and, and, and seeing the person that you love, seeing their body there now and having conversations with your kids about how, well, that's not really what? It's not really them right? But that's their body. And we start to make this distinction between this living being, this, this person this, with a soul and that, that animates this vessel, this, this thing that we call a body. And, and that difference between living and not living. How often have you heard people say, man, life is so fragile, isn't it? Because we know that that, the, that, that difference between someone being alive and someone not being alive seems so mysterious and so fragile sometimes. Like just like a head injury at just the, the right or wrong spot, depending on your, your, like what the conversation is, can, can end someone's life. If, if the brain, this, this mysterious, mushy thing that we can't learn a ton about, when it stops sending signals to the rest of our bodies, life ceases to exist, right? This is the difference between just a well-put-together piece of art or material, you know, like just physical matter and living beings. And it, as John says, in him was life, and the light was the light of men, and the light shone in the darkness. It's easy for us to just gloss over that if we're not careful, but I think it is in that very subtle and yet massive distinction that John wants us to ponder for a moment today. Before we go on to see the rest of what God is going to do in the book of John, he is still setting up for us, or we're still setting, I promise we're going to pick up steam, okay? We're, this prologue is so packed with theology and densely loaded words that to move through it quickly uh, would fail us to, un, would, would, would not uh, set us up well to understand the rest of the book. So yeah, we're, we're, we're going slow, and, and it'll still take us a while because John's a big book, and we'll pause as needed and, and break in series, but... Um, but we will pick up steam over the next few weeks. We'll start taking larger passages and get into narrative uh, passages, which will be larger swaths of Scripture each Sunday. But as John is preparing us to uh, behold all that Jesus is, he's starting back at creation. He's starting back with Jesus as create. Tour. And he transitions today from the creation of, of stuff in general 
material world, um, the physical world, to actually life itself. One of the, uh, the most significant portion of creation. That difference, as I said, between inanimate, well put together, even correctly wired and arranged matter that is our bodies and a living person. That difference, John wants us to know, lies in the incredible beauty and power and glory of Jesus. That difference is found in Genesis 2, chapter 7. We see that very moment is unpacked for us when, whenever Jesus is there making Adam. And we know from John that it was Jesus, right? We know from Genesis that there was multiple people involved. God is talking uh, within the Trinity saying, let us make man in our image. So there's a plurality there. John tells us that was Jesus, the one making the world. And so we see in, John, in Genesis chapter 2 that Jesus is, has formed the man from the dust to the ground. And, and then there it is. He's formed him. He's shaped him. He's made the heart. He's made the lungs. He's made the incredible eyes that we said stumped Darwin. He's made all of the pieces. He's put them together, all the bones, all of the things, all the organs, all of the, the blood vessels and the nerve endings and all the wirings. He's, he's shaped it. He's made it. And yet, there lies Adam. Just a physical piece of matter. Just a hunk of flesh. Until what? Jesus, the Lord God, Jesus breathed in to his nostrils the what? The breath of life. And the man became a living creature. This is huge. This is so incredible. And this thing that we talk about life being fragile and it being so easy to, to slip away and, and, we're, and we're so helpless in those moments, right? John says, Jesus isn't helpful. In fact, Jesus is responsible Jesus is where that life comes from. He wants us to, to stop and go, okay, he's just said all things were made through him and without him not anything was made that was made. And then he goes in verse four and says, in him was life. In him was life. Okay, so we, we gotta start by just acknowledging that, that life, ultimate reality, the, the, the embodiment of the logos is alive. It's not a, a force. It's not a... Uh, you know, a thing. It's not an, an equation. It's not physical matter that, it, that somehow created life. No, ultimate reality is a living person. So the implication here, and this is huge for us students, as you, like, this, this stuff sounds like, ah, yeah, I get it. But then you get into university settings or even high school, junior high settings, and you start to see the theories about how the world came to be. And, and we need to be really clear that what our Bible teaches us is that Physical matter did not give rise to life. You understand? Physical matter, whatever it is, whatever form it's in, an ooze or a bang, or like it, it wasn't physical matter that existed and then somehow gave rise to life. That, that's not what the Bible teaches. Rather, life has existed. As we saw in Jesus, he's eternal there's no beginning, there's no end. Again, with kiddos, you try to talk to them, and some, at some point, if you're talking to them about God, they'll start to say, well, how did, like, how did God get to be God? Like, who is God? Like, who, how many of you had this question? Who made God? It's a good question, isn't it, from a kiddo? Because they're trying to understand. Where did, okay, God made us. Where did, where did, and the kids start to put together, I've seen babies born, I've seen people die. I, you know, they're, they're starting to understand the order of life, and they go, well, who made God? Well, John's already told us, nobody. 
Jesus said, I am that I am. I am the beginning. I am the end. I'm the alpha, the omega. I am that I am, period. Jesus was never created. He exists. And, and so as a person, he's, a lot, he's not a human person, right? He's not limited to that, but he is no less a living being. And it is out of him, that living being, that life comes. And therefore, life creates, this life that is in Jesus creates physical matter, not the other way around. So, once there was only life and no physical matter. You understand? Genesis 1, the beginning, the, there's just this, this darkness and just a void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over it. So there's, there's life, but there's not yet physical matter. Then that personal life created matter, and there was both life and matter. This is the huge division between the atheistic worldview and the Christian worldview. For atheists, everything begins with inanimate matter and energy, right? It's, it's just there. There was, there was nothing there before to know, you know, what made it or what it is. It could have been anything. But they, they choose, listen, and, and listen, these are theories that are presented to our students or to you as you're growing up. They're, they're theories. They, they can't be proved. And, and, and there's, you know, they don't actually know what that matter and that energy was, but for them, some impersonal matter and impersonal energy are original. They're absolute. They're ultimate. And then for billions of years, they'll say with no creator, no intelligence, no design, no purpose, no plan, somehow for them emerges mindless, lifeless, random matter and energy. And then it begins to reproduce and complicate, like grow in complexity and grow in its biology and its structures until somehow it, it creates this glory, glorious thing that we know as living personhood. That's, that's, that's a, I understand, that's an oversimplified version of their belief, but nonetheless, that embodies what they're saying is that somehow there's, there's matter, there's energy, there's something happening, and through a series of, of events over billions of years, it comes to life. And our Bible says, no, 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 life has always existed his name is Jesus, and he is the one who's created all of these things. It's the other way around for us. First, there was life, and then there was physical matter and energy. First, there was a living person. Then there was matter and energy. In the beginning was the Word, and in him was life. So, um, and it's interesting. This comes off the tail of verse 3, saying, Without him, nothing was made that was made. So, it's not saying that life was made in Jesus. It's not saying like, it's saying that he is life. It's not in response to God's command that life comes into existence. It's not due to any natural powers inherent in the material universe itself. It's just there. The self-existing life of the word, as D.A. Carson said, was so dispensed at creation that it became what he says next is the life or the light of Men. So he's going to go on to say, okay, he was, in him was life. And to qualify or to explain further what that life is, the life was what? The light of men. Now, um, light and life are always significant themes for any religious writer, for any writer talking about um, science or philosophy or religion in any, in any way, there's, there's always a dichotomy between light and darkness. There's always light and life that are the sources of what we should be longing for and, and asking deep questions about. And so John, again, is, is using profound language to, to um, set us up for what is coming in 
the rest of John. So even as he uses the word life, it's a hugely important theme for John. I think he uses it 36 times just in this book. He uses it a ton more in his epistles and in Revelation. And so he uses it more than any other New Testament writer. And most of the time when John is writing about life, he, he uh, means spiritual life. He's talking about eternal life, salvation, redemptive life. Okay, and so most, we're going to see it again and again and again as we go through John. But here, this narrative, this passage is still rooted in what? The creation narrative. Here, it's, it's to be used in its broadest sense. Uh, John is using intentional language that has um, incredibly dense and robust meaning. Uh, we, we saw that with the word logos already. We we're seeing that with life today. We're going to see it with light, and we're going to see it with the word overcome. Uh, John has packed these first few verses with incredible language that tells us things that are true about God at the beginning and that Jesus is going to continue to flesh out and embody and display for us as we go through the rest of the book. And so the same is true as he, as he goes on to talk about light here. He says, in him was life, and that life, the life, was the light of men. Now, this idea of light would have been significant for anyone reading it. And if we're honest, we don't think about it a lot, but light is significant for us too, isn't it? What was the first thing I talked about in creation last week? Do you remember? What was the first picture I shown? Anybody remember? Extra credit if you remember. As a tree. Was that you or your kid, Dev? Was that? <laughs> yeah, it was a tree. Why, and why was a tree amazing? Because a tree sustains us, doesn't it? Like the plants, like green plant life, what are we talking about? Like they breathe in what we spit out, carbon dioxide, and then they go through a process. They give us oxygen. What's that process called? Any science folks? Photosynthesis, yeah. What fuels Photosynthesis. How does that happen? What does it need? Light. light, right? You know you need light. You know that you need light for so many reasons, sunlight. Like, you know a person that doesn't get much light. You're like, bro, you're a little pale. You're a little bummed, right? You need some vitamin D in you. But, but really, you boil it all the way down. Like, we have to have light. Why? Because I just said, that's how they make, green plants make oxygen for us. They do that when they receive sunlight. They stop getting sunlight. They stop doing their thing, photosynthesis. And guess what? They don't do their thing. We can't do our thing called breathing. So beyond just the fact that all of plant life needs it, and we need plant life, not just for our oxygen, but also for our sustenance. We're all dependent on the, the vegetation that God has given us, right? Even if you're a carnivore, guess what? That thing you're eating, guess what it ate? Somewhere down the line that is dependent upon plants. And so we're like light is hugely significant, not to mention the fact that it's just really helpful if you're going to navigate life, isn't it? Have any of you just been in a pitch black room before? It's hard to live in that, isn't it? I mean, just practically, like just to do much, like walk without falling, orient yourself. Like light matters, right? And you, so you know the significance of light but in so many ways. And so as, as John is unpacking for us who Jesus is, he says, listen, he is the very way that we get life. He's the very thing that, that gives all the being things, all the living things, they get their life from Jesus. He is generally talking here kind of a common grace, and we're going to see this as we talk, as we go in the next few weeks, and we talk about 
uh, life and light. We're going to see the difference between the, the common grace revelation and exposure that he gives to everybody just to sustain the world and then the specific revelations of life and light that he applies to those that are saved, to those that come to a saving knowledge of him. And so we're seeing that, but John is just setting us up here. He's still in the creation narrative as he, as he walks us through this idea of light. And so when he says the life was the light of men, he's, he's still talking about a sustaining, life-giving thing that we must have. This is, um, Paul goes here on, um, on Mars Hill, a story of Acts 17, as he is in, engaging with the philosophers of the day, there's artists, there's people just writing, they're doing deep thinking, they're writing songs, they're doing, you know, they're, they're giving talks. This is, you know, a lot better than TED Talks, I would assume, but it, it's kind of that, it's where everybody goes to share new ideas and these profound things, right? And, and, and Paul walks up and, and he engages and he gives this incredible sermon, but one of the things he draws on, listen to them, listen to, from Acts 17, he draws on the fact that he sees in their market, in their places, that they're worshiping uh, whatever God, like they know they're supposed to worship. They know there's something out there that's controlling the world, right? They know there's a logos. They know there's an ultimate reality. And, and they're like, okay, we need, the, we need the light, so we better pray to the sun God. We need the rain, so we better pray to that God. We need fertility, so we better pray to that God. That's how, and, and then they have this inscription that says, to the unknown God. Translates into, in case we forgot you, and we get to eternity, yep, didn't, that one was for you, right? Like, because they're not sure. And Paul draws upon that. He goes, let me, what you say is unknown. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about the, the missing piece, the thing that embodies the, the, the sustenance, the life that you are so grateful for. In Acts 17, verse 24 and 28, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. That's good news. Nor is he served by human hands. Also, good news. As though he needed anything. That's not our God. He doesn't need us. Since he himself gives to all mankind, what? Life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods of boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God, that perhaps they should feel their way toward him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us for and he quotes one of their own philosophers. He says, in him we live and move and have our being. For we are indeed his offspring. Paul is saying, listen, we all know this deep down. We all know that we owe our existence to something beyond ourselves. And Paul says, but you don't have to wonder if it's if you've got the right formula, you don't have to wonder if you've gotten all the gods or if you've gotten the, the right information. He says, let me tell you about that God. He's not a force. He's not a thing. He's not, he is Jesus. He embodies all of it. He made it all. It's not that he made this and then something else is somebody else, some other God's responsibility. Paul goes, no, no, no. You can, you can get rid of all of those little puny gods that you think are responsible for this or that or this. Get rid of them all. Jesus made it all. In him we find our being. In him we move and have our existence. He is the life and the light of man. Just like we must have sunlight to exist on this world. The ecosystem depends on it. 
Yet, the Bible would have us take our eyes above that. Even as we saw last week, our sun is just one star. It's an awesome star. And by gosh, we need it, right? Like, if we don't have it, we freeze to death in a, in a moment. And yet, it's eclipsed quickly by all that God has made. And so, it's important for us to know, yes, the sun is a gift from God, and it sustains life here on this earth, but you want to know where men get their life? You want to know where our existence is found? Do not think that the sun is a bigger deal than it is. He says that belongs to Jesus. Let's go back to Genesis. Um, let's go back to the beginning. As, as Genesis 1, it's interesting. I don't know if you, if you know this, but, but the first thing that God said is what? Let there be light. And, and what happens? Boom, light Light exists, but our boy Louis, Louis kind of skipped this part because it's not the sun, because we're actually going to see the sun was made on, on day four. Interesting, right? But, but God speaks and says, let there be light. And what? What happened? You have to call some minions, call a contractor. No, what? There was light. Period. And, and God said, he saw the light and it was good. And God separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning on the first day. Okay, so, so God speaks and says, let there be light. And all of a sudden there is light. Where is that? Because let's, let me just prove it to you. Let's go on down to verse 14, Genesis 1. Uh, this is, this is, you'll see at the end, this is day four. He says, let there be lights in the expanse of the heaven to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the great light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heaven to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was what? Good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the fourth day. So what's actually our sustaining light? What is that light that comes into existence? Where does that light come from, uh, from day one to day Three before on day four he creates the sun. It's it's Jesus. It, it's Jesus is so rich in who he is in his glory that he is light. We we know this as we read the rest of the Bible. We we know this thing called Shekinah glory. We know that people that get even near Jesus, even near the God of the Bible, they they begin to do what glow with light. They begin to just have a, a radiance about them. Moses' face freaked everybody out when he came back down the mountain. It's glowing. Angels freak everybody out that they show up to. Why? They're called beings of light. Why? Are they, are they emanating light? No, they've been in the presence of the light. So then they come here and they, they blow our minds because we don't have a category for that. Why? They've been in the presence of Jesus. Jesus is the light. The sun is just a placeholder for him. You know why? Go all the way to the end. So the, the story begins with light but no Jesus. Guess what? It ends with what? Light and no Jesus. Let's go to Revelation 21. This is at the end when new heavens and new earth, God is bringing the city, God bringing heaven down uh, to, to dwell again with mankind. He's, he's rid the earth of sin and he's coming to dwell with his people. And it says this in verse 23 of 24 of Revelation 21. And the city has no need of what? Sun or moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is what? The lamb. That's Jesus. By its light, the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. 
Folks, this is our Jesus. This is who John is writing about. This is who he's saying is about to step in. We're not even got to the incarnation yet, but he just wants you to know this is our Jesus. This is our Jesus. And he goes on. And and this this verse gets a little bit difficult. Verse 5, he says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not or did not overcome it. Or... Different translations might say comprehend it or understand it, depending on, this gets into one of the most uh, difficult to translate verses, and you got all kinds of different, um, even amongst very trusted uh, translations, they're going to do this one different. Why? Because, again, John is using words that have layers of meaning. He's using words that communicate incredibly deeply for us. And this word, the light has shone in darkness, and the darkness has not, or I actually think the the more proper uh, literal translation is did not overcome it, or has not, or did not comprehend it, or understand it. You got all kinds of different um, translations. Let's see. We've got the the ESV here says has not overcome it. Um, The Holman Christian Standard said did not overcome it. Which, which actually is probably my preferred. Uh, the King James Version, just for fun, says, comprehended it not. Um, the New American Standard says, did not comprehend it. That's a translation from the KJV. That's just normal English. The New Living Translation says, and I love this one, the darkness can never extinguish it. The light is shown in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The message, which is a paraphrase, but sometimes often um, helpful, says uh, the light, this, this life light, it says, blazed out of the darkness, and the darkness couldn't put it out. What's going on here? What is, what is John saying? He's got all the Greek scholars stumped because they can't agree upon a translation. What is he trying to say to us? Why does he say it this way, that the darkness has not overcome it? Or is he saying has not comprehended it or did not overcome it or did not comprehend it? Is it, is it a uh, past tense or is it, or is it present tense? Is it uh, meaning overcome it, meaning overthrow it or get rid of it, conquer it? Or is it comprehend, understand? And I would just say to you, um, yes. Yes, it's probably the easiest way for us to understand that. John is not dumb. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's chosen these words with intentionality, and he wants us to consider and ponder all of them. And this word uh, in the Greek is katalambano, and it's a lot like our English word grasp, which we know has two different, lang- two different meanings, right? Because it can be actually to grasp this Bible and, you know, so I can throw it across the room or grasp someone or something physically, right? I can grasp the, the, the dish down there and, and, and do something physically with it. Or it can also mean that you're, you're telling me an idea, you're, you're telling me something new, and I can, what, grasp it, understand it intellectually, right? Both of those are true from the same word. And I think that's exactly what John had in mind, is that the darkness did not grasp the light, meaning it did not snatch it and remove it or overturn it, and the darkness did not grasp the light. That means it also did not understand it. I think he may have well meant both. I think he's prepping us for what's coming next, and I think as we get in the next couple weeks, and Pastor Chad's going to walk us through um, in in a couple weeks, a passage that's going to go a little bit further into the second meaning, meaning uh, that, that it did not understand it or receive it or comprehend it, 
That is talking about the general state of our world and the darkness that exists here. Even though Jesus is shining in it, no one is understanding or getting it that he's the salvation, that he is the Savior. It's, it's really another way of saying, saying what Romans 3 says, that there's no one who seeks God. There's no one who does good. There's no one who is enlightened unto salvation on their own. Without Jesus doing a work in their life, they're not going to get it. And so we'll get to that. But I think just staying in the most natural reading here and understanding that John is still in the creation portion of this prologue. I think the most natural way to receive the majority of the meaning here is with the idea of overcoming it or overthrowing it because what he's saying is, again, God created everything. He's taking us back to Genesis 1. He's taking us back to the creation narrative. And he's saying that in that moment, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And that light came from Jesus. He is the light of men. He is our sustaining. He is what breathes, changes inanimate, physical meat packages into living beings. And then guess what? He also sustains them. It says that in Colossians 1, that he is the, the beginning of all things and he is what sustains all things. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. I won't go here today, but go home and if you, if you didn't get enough of Louis Giglio the other day, look up Louis Giglio and laminin. It's an awesome story about what, what the protein molecules inside of us are and, and the, the shape that they, be, that they are. It's, it's an incredible thing. So go look that up. That's your, that's your homework for today. But, but He's what gives us life and sustains our life. He's what shines into the world and takes material creation into living creation. He is what gives the world what it needs to to continue sustaining. Again, the world begins with no sun. It's going to end with no need of a sun. The sun is placeholding for Jesus. He is what gives us our light and our life. This is good news. This is good news for our world that's wondering what's going to happen whenever we pollute this mess so much that the light that we're so desperate can't get through. I know, it's political, and all you could see is your Fox News take or your CNN take, but behind that, there's people that are scared because they don't have a hope beyond what science can tell them, and they're like, hey, y'all, we're going to screw this deal up. And I would say, yeah, we're well on our way to screwing this deal up, but guess what? It doesn't depend upon us. Does that mean we need to be reckless? No, this is another sermon. Right? We should be good stewards, but we shouldn't fear. God's holding all of this in his hand. He's not, he's not, gonna, he's not like, man, I had a great plan. Everything was going to hold together. Didn't think about pollution. Dang it. Right? That's not our God. He's not scared. At the same time, he's looking at his people and going, don't be idiots. I gave you this just like you would to your kids. You go into your kid's room and you're like, oh. Throwing it all away. <laughs> Clearly, you don't value it, right? We have these. Why? Because we want our kids to take care of it. We want them to value it, do what they need to. Right? God doesn't lose his cool like I just did. Clearly, there's something I need to talk through there. But, but nonetheless, God has gifted us this planet, hasn't he? 
He wants us to take care of it. So again, that's another sermon. But, but he's the, the thing that holds together. He's what sustains all of this. He is what sustained it as God was creating the world. He is what will sustain it after he's brought the new heavens and the new earth. There'll be no need for the sun and the moon. Why? Because the glory of the Lord will be our light. We'll walk in it. Kings and nations will, will behold. And, and it will illuminate our way and sustain our life both. And all of that is in view when John says, that's who our Jesus is. He holds it all in his hand. This is great news, church. We need to be in awe of this Jesus. Again, John does not want us to go into the stories without knowing who this guy is, without knowing who this Jesus is. So he is the light, the thing that our world depends on. We know this. We know that we, we care about Light, we know how important it is. We know that joy comes in the morning, right? Sorrow may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. God has set the sun in a rotation to come up every 24 hours as a perpetual reminder that darkness will not overcome the light. And that light comes from Jesus. So, you're here today. And you're breathing. Aren't you? And don't take that for granted. I know that's just like, yeah, I get it. But like, seriously, think about it. That's like, he, like you don't control your life and the ability to keep taking air. He could take that from you in a moment. So be grateful for that. Thank Jesus for that and never get over that. But secondly, John starts here because he wants to remind us that the creator, that Jesus is the creator. He's responsible for all these things. But the reason he wants to spend so much time here is because Jesus has come on a mission for new creation. So you're here in your life. Yeah, you're breathing. But some of you, like, you're like, yeah, that's all I got. Some of you are like, man, I'm broke. Some of you are like, man, I'm broken. Some of you are full of guilt, shame, fear, addiction, Marriages are busted. You haven't talked with or slept with your spouse in years. You haven't. You have terrible relationships. You have depression. You have shame. Like some of you, that's your reality, and and, and no one knows. And and you're not sure what can be done. But you you're here in hopes that that maybe God could do something with you. And I want you to know that this is the good news of this Jesus is that He's here on a mission to bring about new creation. What sin has broken, what sin has squeezed the life out of. And when I say what sin has done that to, it is your heart and your soul that primarily that that exclusively got Jesus off the throne for the glory of His Father. He came not. For the trees, not for the animals, but for your heart, your soul. What has happened to you? What is sucking the life out of you? What brings you to tears? What you would never tell anybody? What you are horrified to admit? Jesus says, no, no. <laughs> the darkness hasn't overcome it. Life still exists because it's me. Light still exists because I am that light. And, and no matter how bad it is, the, the forces of evil, the forces of our ignorance and our mess and our sin have not overcome it. Amen? They thought they did. You remember the story of Jesus on the cross? Let's look at Matthew 27. Actual darkness came. You realize this? Darkness came. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and guess what? It's noon. And what happens? Darkness. For three hours, the world goes dark. The sun stops shining. 
Look at the significance. Look at what he's telling us here. He is the source of life. He is light. And, and man, not only did we not comprehend him, we hung him on a cross. And in that moment, the whole world went dark until the ninth hour. So they thought they did. They thought that they, the darkness had overcome it. But let's flip over one chapter, Matthew 28. They, they lay Jesus in a grave. He dies on the cross. The earth shakes, right? And then they lay him in a grave, and he's there until Sunday morning. And guess what? On Sunday morning, there's another great earthquake. And guess what happens now? Instead of darkness, an angel of the Lord descends from heaven. And guess what he looks like? This joker is full of light. He looks like lightning. It's like freak you out lightning, right? Clothing as white as snow. He rolls back the stone and sets on it, which is just a boss move. But... And, and then what happens? What happens? He says, the light shines in the world, but the, the darkness hasn't overcome it. He tells them, Matthew 28, he says, but the angel said to the woman, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. The darkness has not overcome it. You, you see the reason that I, I, I preferred the, the translation in verse 5 that it says has not or did not overcome it because it's not this, I don't think it necessarily means to tell about a present tense. I think it's talking about creation, but I think it's also talking about this moment right here on the cross when darkness gave it all that it had and Jesus said, no, no, you have no power, you have no hold on me, I'm the source of life. And he burst back out of the grave and he says, no, no. I am the light and I am the life. Whoever comes, by, comes to me, give them life. I allow them to start living. This is our Jesus. He's full of life. He's ready to save. You can't find him in a grave. You can't go to his gravesite. He is alive. The darkness has not, did not, never will overcome him. He is the light. And in him you find life. We find life. He's our life. He is our life. No other source. Let's pray. Jesus, overwhelm us. May we not ever yawn at the breath in our lungs, the sustaining life that you've given us. May we not ever yawn at the victory that you conquered over death. May we never get over your greatness. May we continually in our hearts behold, this is our God. This is who you are. You love us. This is our God. This is what you do. You save us. Praise God for that truth, and may we be overwhelmed with it forever and ever. And may you apply that very specifically to hearts and lives that don't seem to be full of life and aren't sure there's much light. May you apply it here today. May you redeem. May you save. May you step in. Make yourself big and give us hope. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Church, as always, uh, this is an opportunity to respond. You can do that by coming to the altar on your own. You can do that by coming to one of the leaders on the side here and be prayed with. You can go on out and get in a community group. You can pray with somebody. Maybe you need to reconcile with somebody. Maybe that's why you're not in a group, because there's been some stuff. Like, go reconcile. Don't just sit here. Like, the point is not to sing the song. The point is respond to Jesus. So whatever he's leading you to do, do that. Let's stand and worship.